Well, I've been blessed. I hope you have. We are about to be even further blessed. We got a uh, a good friend of mine in the house with us. You know, we've been having guest preachers come and bless us with the word uh, throughout the month of August while Pastor Leon is on sabbatical. And uh, our preachers have been coming and bringing the word, helping us along in our evangelism series. And my good friend, my brother uh, from another mother, <laughs> Terrence Gray, Pastor Terrence Gray, y'all give him a warm welcome. He's here with his his beloved, uh, he's ready to come preach already. I thought, hang on, brother. He's with his uh, lovely wife, Ashley, and their baby girl, Luca. Y'all saw her down uh, leading worship down here, down front. Uh, we do that at Mac. So, you know, if your kids need to get up and, and move around because they're feeling God's presence, then that's what we want them to do, all right? And uh, we thank y'all for coming. Uh, they are in Livonia, Michigan. Uh, we met, Terrence might share a little bit more of this, we met in Memphis. Terrence was born and raised in, in Memphis, Tennessee, South Memphis. And uh, I first connected with Terrence back when we were uh, kind of closely connected to a campus ministry called Campus Outreach. And Terrence was uh, a student that was a part of that ministry, and I was just transitioning on staff whenever uh we crossed paths, and then lo and behold, years later, we came on staff together at Downtown Church in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, we got to serve there for a short while, and throughout that time, we just cultivated a good friendship, and we've had many laughs, cries, and everything in between uh, with the Grays, and we're so excited, and providentially, God used them to bring me here. Uh, because they moved here, and T Pastor Terrence took this position at Ward Presbyterian, where he serves as the assistant pastor there. And uh, he gets here a year before us, and I believe God was doing all kinds of things to them, but, but one of them was he was preparing a place for Monica and I as well. And God uses, how many of y'all know, when he moves, he always moves through people. Okay, he, he's done that since the beginning. And so uh, he delights to rule his, his world through image bearers like you and us. And so, anyways, I could talk a lot about Terrence, but he is a gifted preacher and teacher of the gospel. He's a well-rounded uh, leader. I believe that about you, brother. And uh, he's, he's been tested in the fire, trust me. Uh, don't, you don't got to go into that, but he preaches from a place of being tested, and, uh, and persevering through a lot of struggles, one of them racism, in uh, white evangelical spaces. And he knows a thing or two about being abused by it. And he knows a thing or two about speaking truth to power. Speaking truth to power. And so I, I am so excited that he's here. And he's going to bring the word. So brother, come on up and preach the word to us. Give him a warm welcome. Pastor Terrence Gray. Good morning. Can you hear me? All right, all right. Man, that was a good introduction. I didn't know who he was talking about for a minute. <laughs> well, uh, really, really, really delighted and glad to be here with you guys. You guys are blessed with an amazing pastoral team, Pastor Leon, Pastor Kevin. They are good men who love the 
who love the Lord, who love the gospel, and who love you. So you are so blessed. And Pastor Chris, who I just met today, man, you were killing it on that Hammond, on that organ over there. I can't wait to hear that again. Um, but as, 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 yes, sir, as Kevin already mentioned, he's my boy, he's my friend, uh, brother from another mother indeed, and so grateful for him and all he means to me and Ashley and, and Luca uh, and his wife Monica as well. Uh, everybody knows Monica's a nurse practitioner, so she came through for me big time last week. I've been having this ear infection thing going on for about a week. I didn't know 30-year-old people could have ear infections, but we do get them. So she, she had my back and took care of me for that. So that family, and you guys are family, so glad to be with you guys today. We're going to be spending time in the book of Acts today. I heard you guys have been in an evangelism series uh, this, this summer. And so today we're going to spend some time in the book of Acts. We're going to be working our way around Acts 20, uh, Acts 26 and Acts 25. Both of those chapters, we're going to work our way around both of those today. But I want to start by kicking us off with Paul's story. And I'll read this for us, and I believe we can get that on the screen as well. This is Acts chapter 26, verses 12 through 18. It says... On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Is it hard for you to kick against the ghost? Then I asked, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the, Gal and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from the darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go before our God and pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty and your matchless sons, Jesus' name. God, thanking you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to get together and worship and sing together. God, I love the words of that song. God, I can't be no ways tired come too far from where I started from, God. And you didn't bring us this far to leave us, God. We, we cling on to those words, knowing that they are not just words, they are true. Yeah. We can sing that as we go through our days. And I pray that you would move me out of the way today. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase and be made much of in the lives of your people. Talk to them. You know what they're going through. You know what they need. You know where they need to be challenged. You know where they need to be comforted and encouraged. Hold your people today. I'm just a preacher and a man talking unless your spirit shows up, and we need more than just a man talking today. It's in your son, Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen. There's a Christian hip-hop artist by the name of Emmanuel Lambert. Growing up, Emmanuel thought that his story was boring. He says he grew up in a two-parent home. His parents loved Jesus, and they raised him in the church. 
He came to know Jesus at the age of five years old. One evening when he got down on his knees and just accepted Christ in his bedroom. He prayed to accept Jesus that night. and he, He's been following the Lord ever since. But Emmanuel Lambert says that he, he, he never got into any serious trouble or had any real like adversity in his life. And for that reason, he thought that his story wasn't worth sharing. He said that other people had far more exciting stories. They had these great challenges. There was thunder and lightning and all kind of stuff going on in these other people's stories. But he thought he was just a church kid that came to know Jesus at a young age, and nothing was special about that. No drama, no fireworks, no special effects. Just a kid on a normal evening talking to Jesus before he went to sleep. As he got older, his perspective began to change, and he started to value his story. There was actually gold in his story, but he had been overlooking the gold. He writes these lyrics in his song called Horror Story. He says, I don't have a horror story. God kept me in my youth. I give him all the glory. I thought my story didn't flow, but now I know the blood of the lamb has saved my soul, and that's my testimony. The blood of the lamb has saved my soul, and that's my testimony. Friends, that's not boring. That's a miracle. That's not boring. That's a gift from the God of the universe. And if a five-year-old receives Jesus Christ today, that's not boring. That's a miracle that we all can celebrate. How often do we miss the gold in our own stories? Here's the big idea for the day. If Jesus is in your story, then your story is worth sharing. If Jesus is in your story, then your story is worth sharing. Whether you came to know Jesus at five or age 75, whether you were most likely to succeed in high school or most likely to fail, I hope they don't give that award out. Whether you have what some people consider a horror story or an ugly story or not, your story is not too pretty or too ugly for God. If, you, if Jesus is in your story, then there's gold in your story. And if God is in your story, then there's gold in your story. And if God is in your story, he's in your story because he chose to be. He chose to be. And that makes it all the more special. And with every individual story, there is something unique. There, there's something of value and there is something worth sharing. In your story, there is some hope. Just think about it. Think about all you've been through, like we sang earlier. Think about it. There's some hope in that story that somebody else can, can, can glean from and learn from. There's some, some lessons from some things that you've been through that somebody can learn from. There's some remembrance of God's saving grace that can be of some great value to someone else. As we think about evangelism this summer, we can think about that in, in, in the context of us sharing our stories. You might not need to know some perfect way to, to share the gospel, though it's cool to have some tools and, way to, and ways to do that, but sometimes you can just share that story with somebody. 
I know somebody in here has a story. I know you do. And there is nothing to be ashamed of in that story because it's the story that God wrote for you. There's nothing to be ashamed of. No matter how dark it got, there's nothing to be ashamed of in that story. The Apostle Paul knew this in Acts chapter 25 and 26. We see an example of him boldly sharing his story of how he came to know the Lord. At, at this point in the book of Acts, Paul had been imprisoned in a town called Caesarea for two years. He had been in prison. He had been in jail, preaching the gospel faithfully for two years in jail to his fellow prisoners. But, but his enemies weren't satisfied by him just being in jail because he was still on mission for the Lord in jail. They weren't satisfied for, for, uh, for him uh, just being in jail. They wanted him dead. Paul, Paul's enemies wanted him gone because he was still on mission in prison. A, a man by the name of Festus was the governor at this time, and he was in many ways the person that was dictating Paul's uh, destiny while he was in jail, or so he thought. So, so this man by the name of Festus was the governor at the time he imprisoned Paul, and he really didn't know what to do with Paul. Let's hear these words. This is Acts chapter 25, 1 through 3. It says, three days after arriving in the province, Festus, the governor, went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priest and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented charges against Paul. Paul was already in jail, and now they're hitting him with some more charges. They requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to the jail in Jerusalem from the jail in Caesarea, for they were preparing to ambush and kill Paul along the way. So Paul has been imprisoned in Caesarea, but the Jewish leaders want him transferred to Jerusalem. But the plan really isn't for Paul to make it to Jerusalem. The plan is to ambush him before he actually gets there and, and kills and kill him. Paul is in a dangerous situation. He has some dangerous and powerful enemies. And perhaps, just perhaps, perhaps if he was just to stop talking about Jesus, his troubles would go away. Maybe that story that he has, if he stopped telling that story about how Jesus came into his life, if he stopped telling that story, maybe they'll let him go and he'll stop having this trouble. But Paul says he can't. I can't stop telling that story. Not after what Jesus has done for me and what I have experienced. I can't stop telling that story. Jesus is alive. He came into my life, and I can't stop talking about it. I have to tell my story. The story picks up in verse 7 when the Jewish leaders take a trip to Caesarea to visit Paul. The plan is to attack him and take them with him. So when Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him and they brought many serious charges against him, but they could not prove them. Then Paul made his defense. He says, I've done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. This is like an intense court battle. This is pure legal drama. This is like an episode of Law and Order. This is like Matlock for those who go way back or in the heat of the night for those who know about that. 
The Jewish leaders are bringing serious charges against Paul, but the charges aren't sticking. And there's this back and forth, back and forth. And then Paul stood his ground. He says, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I'm guilty of doing anything deserving of death, I do not refuse to die. I'm not, a, I'm not afraid to die. That's not what this is about. I'm just saying if the charges that are brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. And Governor Festus really didn't have a strong comeback for that. <laughs> he simply says, you've, you've appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you go. Truth be told, Governor Festus doesn't know what to do with Paul. He is frustrated. Festus is like, they don't pay me enough for this. Get this man out of here. I need some help. So he seeks help. The governor seeks help to figure out what to do with Paul's case. He seeks help from a friend named King Agrippa. King Agrippa was in town, and King Agrippa agreed to take on Paul's case and to, to handle this situation. So he agreed to meet with Paul. So Paul was summoned to the auditorium at the palace of Caesarea. It, it was called the Great Hall. I love how the, the message explains this scene. And so you have this prisoner, Paul, who's about to be brought before a king in front of a bunch of, a bunch of uh, powerful people to once again uh, fight this, this case that he's going through. Acts 25 through 23. I, I'm reading from the message translation. I love how it says it. It says, the next day, everybody who was anybody in Caesarea found his way to the great hall. Along with the top military leaders, King Agrippa and his sister Bernice made a flourishing grand entrance and took their places. Festus then ordered Paul to be brought in, bring in the prisoner. Uh, the, the, the room was filled with very well-known and powerful people. Paul was standing before kings and queens and governors and high-ranking military officials and prominent Roman soldiers. The people were dressed in extravagant attire. Then Gucci, Louis, Prada, displaying their wealth and status through their clothing. They were dressed in, in, in purple fabrics, the scripture says, and wore dazzling jewelry and crowns. They had these carefully put together images that were managed so well. It's like a Hollywood award show. It was a room full of big shots trying to impress other big shots. Think of that room. Then in walks Paul in the chains. In walks the prisoner. Kind of awkward. In a room like this, in walks the prisoner. In a room filled with so much ego and image management and showmanship, in walks the prisoner. He's escorted in. All eyes are on him. A man with no status in the business world, no rank in anyone's military, no political seat, no fancy clothing, no jewelry, no Jordans on his feet, no mansion, no country club membership, no fancy boats and toys to play with. Why is he even in this place? Who invited him? 
Acts 26, 1 says, Then King Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul, with chains on his hands, motioned his hands and began his defense. Paul, a slave to Christ, a man in chains. What do you say to this well-dressed, powerful crowd today? Do you try to fit in with them? Do you hand out your business cards? Got a tent making business. You hand out your business cards? What, what are you going to say? Paul, the world is watching. Eight years ago, a pastor named Reverend Lone King had an opportunity to speak in front of the United Nations in a room that day where government officials and representatives from 193 different nations. So what does this pastor say? With this great opportunity in front of him, he just decides to share his story. In 2003, while in Australia, Reverend Lee had a massive heart attack that left him dead. Hear this now. For 45 minutes. Reverend Lee Stone King was dead for 45 minutes. The doctors gave him 10 shock treatments to, to resuscitate his heartbeat. 10 shock treatments. After those 10 shock treatments failed, he was put on a stretcher on the back of an ambulance and declared dead. He was a corpse. He had been dead for so long that the blood in his body began to clot. He, he had been dead for so long that the hospital had already completed his paperwork. He was DOA, dead on arrival. And then he woke up and scared the life out of the ambulance driver. <laughs> Normally, after six minutes or less, with no oxygen to the brain, there is irreparable brain damage. But, but Reverend Stone King lived and had no brain damage. Reverend Stone King's doctor, this is a true story, said to him, you have defied all of the laws of medical science. This is, this is, this is amazing. Reverend Stone King looked at him and said, I didn't, but I know the one who did. And his name is Jesus. And after sharing this story at the United Nations General Assembly, in front of all of these powerful people, he closed with this. He says, I am a Christian. And my message here today is this. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, chapter 2 and 38, it says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The answer, your excellencies, to the violence in our day and to the human atrocities in our day is Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace. I give you Jesus. God bless you. That's what he says in front of the United Nations. When, when I hear a story like that, I'm like, wow, the boldness, my goodness, wow, that's an incredible story. If I had a story like that, I'd share that story too. But friends, remember, if Jesus is in your story, then you have a story worth sharing. 
And I pray that God shows you the gold in your story. The gospel is foolishness to the world. It's, it's rubbish to the world. It's lame to the world. Sometimes flat out uncool, unmarketable, unpretty. There isn't enough polish to put on it to make it attractive to the world. But that's not why we share the gospel. Everything that we say and do won't be followed and liked on Facebook or Instagram. That's just not how it works. But we share the gospel because there is power in the name of Jesus. And we know it because we've experienced it in our own lives. That's why we tell people about what we've been through. That's why we share our stories. Not because it's cool. Not because it's popular. Not because we'll get something from it. But there is power in the name of Jesus. And somebody needs what we've experienced. So we're just sharing a little bit of the hope that we have. Power. To make dead things live again. The Apostle Paul was given a huge platform in front of some very important people. And he uses it to preach the gospel and to tell his story. I want to read his story again. And this is what Paul shares with that crowd. He says, friends, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest about noon. As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my friends. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Then I asked, who, who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied, now get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people. Isn't he doing it right now? And from the Gentiles, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And even in chains, Paul stands there as a witness of the true God who, who alone can open the eyes of the blind and bring dead things back to life. And Paul does this simply by just telling his story. Friends, there is gold in your story. And sometimes God gives his people a platform to share their story. Sometimes that platform is the United Nations speaking in front of all of these political officials. And sometimes that platform is your neighbor across the street who needs some hope. Sometimes it's having a conversation with a family member in the living room on a normal Tuesday, or a complete stranger that you just met, how might God use your story to impact someone else? If Jesus is in your story, then your story is worth sharing. So how do you do this? How do you share your story? Simple. You don't have to make it fancy. Just tell people what God did. And leave the results up to him. So all you got to do is tell them 
what God, you just called to be a witness, not an author. You don't have to <laughs> create a narrative. You just called to be a witness. This is what I saw. This is what God did. And this is what it did for me. Leave the results up to him. Maybe today is the day for someone that Christ enters your story. Maybe today is the day that God becomes the centerpiece of your life, your Lord and your Savior. And if you would like an opportunity to receive Jesus today and begin that journey of walking with him, we can pray together. See, this is what Jesus did. He, Jesus, he died on the cross for the sins of the world. And he resurrected from the dead, declaring that he has power over death, over sin, over the grave. He has, he has that power. He has the power to make dead things live again. He has the power to turn around things that look like there's no hope in them. But he can turn around lives. He can turn around communities. He can turn around a workplace. He, he can turn around anything. And today he might be calling you specifically and telling you to turn around and turn to him. Yeah. And he can do it. I remember when I came to faith when I was 17 years old, the pastor said, you've tried everything else, Terrence, but you haven't tried Jesus. And I want to encourage somebody who hasn't tried Jesus to turn to him. If you'd like to do that today for the first time, pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. And dear God, I also just want to pray for all of my brothers and sisters here today that you would show them the gold in their stories. God, remind us of what you did. Maybe, the, maybe there are some memories that are buried deep that we've forgotten about. Maybe we're anxious today. Remind us of how you held it all together throughout the various seasons of our lives. You've always been there. You've always been for us. God, remind us of that. Forgive us of our pride when we think that we're doing something. God, it wasn't us. Never has been us. Never will be us that's controlling our lives. It's you. God, remind us of that so that we may be prepared to share that story with somebody who needs it. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.